0: Uh, seven verses, and as I said before, we want to go back and kind of go back through those seven church letters because this speaks directly to us today in in the history in which, the time in which we are living in and the importance of that. So beginning in verse 1 of Revelation 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God father we love you we thank you for your word and god help us to see the blessing that's in this book this morning let us believe it let us embrace that god and set our hearts on fulfilling your plan your purpose and your will in every life god we're not here by accident lord these are divine appointments and lord speak to our hearts today we pray in truth in the name that's above all names the name of jesus amen and you may be seated Now, in Revelation, we're told uh, that we are blessed if we read and hear the prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near, Revelation 1, verse 3. Also, in verse 20 of Revelation 1, the Bible says, John writing here says, the mystery, uh, that there is a mystery, and then he explains this, this, uh, after he mentions that, he explains what, the stars represent, and the camp, the, the lampstand. And we understand that the stars are the messengers or the pastors that are at those seven churches, and the churches represent those lampstands. There's also another aspect to that mystery, and that is that now looking back, as we have all of this history behind us, we can see now that not only are these uh, churches literal churches uh, in this particular area of Asia at the time, but that they mean much more than that. That the letters that went to those churches not only are are real and that they were a message to the church of that but they're also representative of types of churches throughout the church age, and they're also specific to churches, the ages of history that they represent. Now, you, you may not, some people don't, you know, believe that necessarily. Um, I, I do. I think it is clear. And as we go through this, when we look through the prism of history, we we will see that because it, it it's not coincident that these things that are happening, you see on his, on the timeline of history that churches were doing these exact same things. And so, you know, again, I will tell you, I believe we are in the Laodicean age. We are in the last age of the church here on this earth, and that at some point God is coming to rapture, to take away his church out of this world. Now why do I say that? Because Paul tells us about another mystery. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there in verse 51, Paul says this about a mystery. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In the moment, or in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, at the time that Paul is writing this, they're not exactly sure what that mystery is other than what it says. But as we have, again, the history as a, as a, as a looking glass uh, to see this, we understand that where the church was primarily uh, not necessarily focused on a dispensational premillennial idea for about 1800 years we understand that over the last 200 plus years we see this mystery as that snatching away as the rapture of the church because first corinthians 15 is not speaking of the second coming of christ in that he will rule and reign the the, the world from a literal throne it doesn't make sense in that context nor if we're in first and second thessalonians it is speaking of an event that will not fit the prophecies laid out in Matthew and other places about the second advent of the Lord Jesus. Now, you may not understand anything about what I just said, and that's okay. It's perfectly fine. You'll find if you spend time with me, there's a lot of things I say that you ain't going to understand. And you're going to be scratching your head thinking, this guy is off his rocker. That's just my spiritual gift to you, okay? So, to God be the glory. We don't have to have it all figured out. I certainly don't have it all figured out, but there are some things that God has said that through history we can look back and we can see and say, you know, that's not coincidence. This is These things are happening. And so this morning as we look at this letter to Ephesus, this church, the name Ephesus means desirable, and it is rep- representative of a church age known as the Apostolic Church. Uh, it was a power-filled church, It was a church that had the eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, some of them present in that church. So it was a church that was very powerful and they were on mission for God. And we see this church age ending around the turn of the 2nd century. So as we get through 100 A.D., we see the end of an apostolic church age and then we'll see the beginning of another church age and how long that lasts. Now I say... Uh, 30 A.D. to roughly 100 A.D., because I am of the mindset that with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, not with the resurrection of the G- of, the, of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, I, I believe that at the beginning of His earthly ministry, that constituted in a basic form what the church it was going to be. All right, so you know if you believe the church is only started after the resurrection, that's fine. You know we're three years off, and I'm not going to complain about it. Just but I say 30 A.D. because Jesus had a group of followers and what they were doing was much different than what uh, the Old Testament believers uh, in Judaism required at that time. So, one church age ended around 100 A.D. And I think you'll see that as we go through this and certainly through history we, we see this. But I want us to uh, see a couple of other things real quick. The foundation and the tradition of the church at Ephesus. Paul founded this church over in Acts chapter 20. This was his third missionary journey. And he founded the church of Ephesus and he spent three years there. Now I want to ask you a question. <laughs> Just think about, you know, in, in podcasts, book sales, all of this stuff today that we kind of gauge a, 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 the effect effectiveness of ministries today. Um, Can you imagine, for three years, the Apostle Paul preaching in your church? Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine the level of training that the folks at Ephesus got? Now understand, this church was planted in the midst of a culture that was worshiping Uh, False gods, Artemis, Diana, they had a great magnificent temple built uh, to her and it was one of the seven known wonders of the world. Silversmiths made trinkets and all manner of things to be used in the worship of this to the point that when Paul showed up and began to preach the gospel, there were so many people that were turning to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that it was creating a crisis in their economy. It was. They were thinking, nobody's buying my silver, you know, silver, nobody's buying my silver trinkets. I, I mean, you know, so they go uh, and try to get the government to tell Paul to leave. And they're about ready to throw him out of town. And, of course, uh, they, they settle things and he stays. But the point is, the, the Christianity in the city of Ephesus was so dynamic and powerful that it was literally turning that world, the known world at the time, upside down. God give us the strength and the grace and the zeal to be that serious about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, God hasn't changed. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not weak. His arm is not short. God is not slack. God is God. He's always been God, and He always will be. So this church was... As far as its foundation, I mean, the apostle Paul spent three years teaching there. there the first pastor that we know was there was Timothy. And guess, where, guess who had disciple Timothy? Paul. Not only was Timothy there, but we read in Scripture that Apollos was a great teacher there. And if that weren't enough, the apostle John, along with the mother, Uh, The earthly mother of Jesus, Mary, they moved there and were a part of that church. Can you imagine that for a minute? I I mean, I just can think in my mind, uh, man, just, you're talking about a connection. I mean, I go to church with the Apostle John and the mother of Jesus. But you know what happens? When a new thing comes about, you you always have people that are a part of it that are not really a part of it. You know what I mean? I go I go back to my, you know, you've heard this before, but I always go back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They stunk forever. They won the Super Bowl, early two thousands, and the very next day I saw a guy, driving around in a donk with some twenty sixes on it, with. Some Tampa Bay flags. And I thought, man, you are a hypocrite. You ain't never like no Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. Come on. We call them bandwagon fans, right? People like to be a part of something that is embraced and is popular. But you're going to see something about Ephesus. What is popular, what is new, won't always be new and it won't always be popular and Christianity, I'm I'm grateful that when the Lord calls us there's excitement, there's the newness of that faith, but you know what happens? Life gets hard, life gets hard we all understand that Christians are not exempt from bad reports, heart attacks, cancer wayward kids, job losses downturns and recessions. No, we're not above that. And sending money to some preacher ain't going to make you above that, no matter what they say. It's easy to be a part of something. And you're talking about the foundation and the tradition of this church and all the past victories that they must have had, but yet that will not ever ensure that you will always be around. None of that will. I mean, liberty's been around a long time. 125 years and going. But here's what we need to understand. This may not be popular, but it's the truth. Christianity, this church being here, is never more than one generation from being extinct. Christianity, in the 2,000 years that it's been around since Jesus, basically, 2,000 years, never, ever has it been more than one generation. If it's not passed on, and if it's not acted on, it will not be around. So Ephesus could have just said, you know, hey, we're we're resting in the fact that that we've got a great foundation, we've got good tradition, we've had these past victories, but that did not ensure that they were around. And Jesus uh, praised them for things that they had done. God gave them an assessment, and he said, you know what, there's some things that you've done that are good. They practiced good things as Christian people should do. He said, your works are good, your labor is good, you're patient, you've persevered, you hate evil, all of those things. You've routed out uh, the the imposters. He said, you've tried those who have told you that they were apostles and you have found that they are liars. And he said, and oh, by the way, the the, the Nicolaitans, you hate their deeds. Now, there, there are two distinct people groups here that he's talking about. There were those that were just outright uh, just liars and apostates and, and threats to the church that completely uh, said things that were, that were totally against the doctrine that they had been taught. And yet they claimed that they were apostles. And he said, you found that they're liars. And he said that they were also the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and you hate them. Now, that, that group of people, they took a different approach. And by the way, Plenty of Nicolaitans today. The word's uh, interesting in its formation because it means nico, it means to conquer, and "laity" means the brethren or the people. It means to conquer the people. And there are plenty of Nicolaitans today. As a matter of fact, there's an entire uh, denominational church built on that model, above the laity, over the laity. Splitting it into two groups, folks, listen. The cross is for everybody. The ground at the cross is level. I, 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 my calling is what determines that I'm a pastor, not my education and, and, and not my piety or any of these things. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, high priest unto the Lord, all of us. That doesn't say that we don't have different gifts and that, that I'm not fulfilling uh, this role of being a shepherd in a local church as my calling. That that God says is needed, respectable, all of those things. But, it, but not as you don't know anything and I'm privileged to some special knowledge that you can't get. I use the same Bible you got. I have the same Holy Spirit you have. I came to salvation through Jesus Christ just as all of you did. No no different. And so these folks, they were much more subtle. And they believed in compromise as as a part of life and that they could still uh, you know be a part of the church. They they participated in all the religious festivals of the day that worshiped uh, you know Artemis and 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 they sought hey man, I'm just, I know it's a fake God, so I'm just going to do the things that everybody else is doing, and that's fine, but it caused people to stumble. The Apostle Paul warned us about that. Things that you understand that make no sense, not a big deal, it may not be a big deal to you, but if it's causing a brother to stumble, you need to refrain from doing that. So he acknowledged that they were doing some good things. Nevertheless, he gave them a rebuke. And we see in history a church for around 70 years that was powerful, that was planting churches, that properly teaching and equipping the people of God. But something happened. Jesus says this. He says, I have this against you. He's done a lot of great things. You've done good things. But he said, nevertheless, in verse verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your first love. He rebuked them to return, to understand what it meant to love Christ authentically and to not fulfill the call of God on their life out of duty, but out of love. And there's a huge difference between that. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that you can relate to today, certainly if you're married. You get married, and, and you start out, and life is different. And you, you look over the faults of your spouse because you're still in that honeymoon phase, uh, and, 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 and you just, for, it's not a big deal and you just love each other and so you know whoever is is lacking in one area you just you do what needs to be done and it's of no consequence you 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 you, you love you love each other you show that you love each other but but down the road 10 15 20 years 25 years down it is easy to become simply you're married, you, you go through the motions of fulfilling your roles, but you don't see or look at each other the way you did when you first got married. Partly because you've probably changed a lot, and you don't look like you did when you first got married. But it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily take 10 years, 15 years. Sometimes it doesn't take but a few years. But here's what happens. You, you begin to see faults in your spouse and, and you focus on those faults in your spouse and it bothers you. And, and, and for whatever reason it builds and you can't get past it. There is no church that will grow in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and reach a world dead in their trespasses and sins that is super hyper-focused on everything that's bad. We're to stand against evil. But we got to love folks that ain't like you and me. we got to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that we are ministering into a world that does not have a pervading worldview of Christianity on it any longer. And yet, it's not out of duty, it's out of the realization there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And we do it out of love and out of compassion. And here's what happens. When we always focus on the flaws of our husband or our wife, what's going to happen is it is going to deteriorate our marriage to the point that it festers. And before long, we don't talk, we don't share, we don't love each other like we should, we don't look beyond faults or petty differences, and everything becomes a problem. I had a, a, a younger couple that one time came to me and wanted to work through some issues, or at least they, you know, they said that they did. And I, I remember I had a conversation with, uh, you know, both of them, and tried to help them determine what the issues were, and forth. And when I talked to uh, the wife uh, specifically, she she told me exactly what was wrong. She had a list. Uh, I would say a very long, detailed one, to be quite honest with you. And you know what? You can't solve a problem if you don't know there is one. Okay, I I get it. Here was the problem, though. She said, let me break it down for you, preacher. I'm like, we're really going to go somewhere with this. I'm not kidding you. It was that adamant. You need to know who's at fault here. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm, I'm reading the tea leaves, honey, yes. And this is what she told me. She said, "You know, it's like ever since we got married, every time he would do these things, I just put it it's like I put a penny in a jar. And now there's no more space left in that jar to put these pennies, and they're just running out." Preacher, what am I supposed to do with that? And this was the first and the last meeting that we ever had. Seriously. And you know what I told her? I said, "You need to jump dump your jar of pennies out." because if you're hanging on to that, there will be no reconciling your marriage because you gotta forgive folks and you gotta move on. And you gotta understand that when you know you've really forgiven somebody, it's when you're vulnerable enough to be hurt again. And until you're, until you're that's not, I'm not asking you to forget about anything. And that's not what the point of this right here is. He's saying, when it comes to me, you're heresy hunting, all that's good, but it is monopol- it's monopolizing your mind to the point that you cannot love those you have to love because you see them as broken vessels that you don't want to have any part with. And God forbid we ever get to that point where we look at the world with such disdain that they're not redeemable anymore. But for the grace of God, where would we go? That God would look beyond my faults. He'd see my need and He'd redeem me. And if I want a marriage that honors God and that, that I enjoy, I have to forgive and I have to look beyond faults. Talk through difficult things. With love confronting issues. And understanding that if He has the power of the Holy Spirit living in Him and she has the power of the Holy Spirit living in her, that's the agent of change, that's where the power to reconcile comes from and I don't care how many shrinks you talk to, how many pastors you talk to, there's not enough of new flesh habits that you can come up with to make your marriage work. You have to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and you have to surrender to your right to be right all the time. And you won't know and love and serve Jesus and you won't love a lost and dying world if you're stuck on always being right all of the time. There are There there has to be a place where you can allow people to grow. God didn't say I had to have it all figured out before I ever got saved. He just said, whosoever will, let him come. And when God gripped my my spirit as a young man, I I didn't have it all figured out, but I knew I was lost and I was broken and that I needed to be saved, and he did not and has not disappointed. said, you need to return to your first love. See, this was, this was rampant. See, John, he writes to us much later in the history of that first church. Uh, most of the New Testament was, was written within 30 years after the death of Jesus. Mo- most of every book in the New Testament, with the exception of a few, was written within the first 30 years after the Lord Jesus came out of that grave. Much of the New Testament that we have, those letters were being circulated among the churches during the lifetime of those people who observed it. That's why we know our Bible's not a fraud. You can't fake something that everybody knows you're faking. You know? I mean, you can't. John writes to us at the, at, the, at the waning part of that first century. Revelation written in, in within the last ten years of that, of that final part of the first century. His earlier writings in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John written you know, just a few years earlier than that. So John is, is giving us an assessment of what's going on at the end of the first century and these, it's interesting some things that he writes. church growing cold. See in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 he says love not the world or the things in it. Now why is he having to tell people not to love the world or the things that are in it? Because they're loving the world and the things that are in it. It's not hard, right? This was already beginning to happen the latter few decades of that first century. 1 John 2, 18 and 19 he says that antichrist are already among you. They've left the church. 2 John, he says this, that you you should prove your love through obedience or you're on the verge of losing your reward. In his third letter to the church, 3 John, he says this, that Diotrephes has made himself preeminent in his life. And we know only one deserves that place, and that's Jesus. Jude there in verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul wrote that Demas had forsaken him, having loved this present world. What is this? this? This is an indictment on what was taking place in the latter ministries of these apostles. What was happening? Closing the end of that first church age, the apostolic age. And then you'll see Myrna, how this is the beginning of another church age that has a beginning and it has an end. God's not left us without a roadmap, okay? And I'm not trying to uh, to predict when the Lord is going to return and the rapture of the church, but I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, it's going to be between these two points right here. It's going to be between the ending of the Laodicean age and the beginning of the tribulation. It cannot be at any other time. And I think if we are just going to be honest and just take a good look at what the Scriptures say and look through the prism of history, we're going to realize that we are living in the Laodicean age and there's not another church letter. It's the last one. And all of our reservations about how would you dupe the world into taking a mark, hello? Hello? Go back to January of 2020 and just look at the headlines where we are today. It's not impossible. With the right tools that we have, it's easy to do what needs to be done when that moment happens. Do you know, today is the beginning of, of uh, Rosh Hashanah. Three final... Uh, feast for the Lord to fulfill in his returning. If if you don't believe tabernacles was fulfilled in his birth either way, the final ones will be fulfilled in his return. Another name for Rosh Hashanah is the feast of trumpets. We will not all sleep. We will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. I don't know. That could mean that, the, that there's going to be a time when this moment will come and it will be the last time that we experience it ever as a church. Maybe not, but it makes sense to me. And I, I, ain't, I ain't all that smart, but it makes sense to me. looks pretty obvious. John wrote that these things were already happening. We're closing out this church age. The church is growing cold. Why is this important? Because what is a church? Ecclesia, the Greek word for it. It means separation. Do you realize that? That when you unite with a church, you're saying, I'm uniting with the Lord's people and I will live separate from the world. That's what you're saying. As a matter of fact, there is no other culture, but perhaps our culture today in the West, that somehow believes almost 2,000 years of church history is wrong. I'm not of that mindset. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I fall short. I've got the grace of God. He loved me. He forgave me for every sin I ever did, and every sin that I'll ever do. It's all under the blood, just like yours. But I am grateful for that, and I realize, as he says right here, repent or I will remove your lampstand and I will take away your reward. He says repent or there will be no lampstand. There will be no church, and there will be no reward. Well, go to Ephesus today. You won't find a church in Ephesus. As a matter of fact, that entire region is Turkey today, and and I don't know if you know this, but in Turkey you just don't get to start a church in Turkey. I don't know they particular about that. They kind of are of the mindset that there's only one God, and and it ain't Jehovah. His name is Allah over there, and if you don't worship that, uh, some you know you you could go missing, and your face ain't gonna be on the back of a milk cart. Nobody's gonna care different world but that world was the foundation of a robust powerful faith in the first century of the church and what happened they failed to repent and what did God do he took away the church see the church is a light like I said before all these folks hate the church don't want the church curse the church Y'all stepping on my joy, killing my joy. We don't want the church. We don't want no part of the church. Wish the church wasn't here. One day they will get their wish. And they will hate every second of it. There is no church in that area today. God removed the lampstand. Just as he said that he would. And he said, if you want that reward, lesson is clear there's a race to run and there's a prize yeah, heaven is that prize but the Lord also said that to those who are faithful to those who uh, don't quit, who don't become disqualified, he talks about crowns for our faith for for our charity, for our gifts to fulfill those in love for the glory of God and he said we lose those when our motivation is wrong we quit. There's no crown for quitters, only overcomers. We live in a strange world today where honestly uh, right is called wrong, evil is called good. Uh, it's brazen today. Turn your television on during a ball game and you'll see commercials advertising products for family and there's two men that are offended. two women that are offended They're advertising uh, movies coming out of Hollywood that uh, promote uh, homosexual lifestyle, transgender-type lifestyle. Folks, those things are evil because they rob you of fulfilling God's will for your life. And I'm just amazed at how many people in Western civilization seem perfectly fine with taking their son or their daughter and saying, you know what, uh, you, you were born a girl, but you don't want to be a girl, so we're going to go get you some surgery. Uh, you, you know, you were born a boy, but you want to be a girl, we're going to go get you some surgery. And these things are not happening out in uh, UCFA in California. These things are happening at Vanderbilt University. In Nashville, Tennessee, folks. Why? Because we have an enemy that is openly brazen and hostile to the things of God in our government. It's all around us. It's all around us. president openly saying, if you don't vote for me, you don't have a place in America. We don't want to listen to you. You don't have a right. Calling for the threat of of being hostile to these people to the point that in North Dakota the other day, an 18-year-old that was protesting some of these crazy lunatic policies, a 41-year-old man gets in his car and runs him over. That guy's out walking the street today. I mean, if if you're not, if you don't understand that we're living in some some interesting times, I, I don't know what will do it for you. We need to be faithful because I'm convinced from this day forward it's going to get harder, harder, and harder, and we're going to have to find conviction, draw some uh, lines in the sand so to speak and say we will not we will not we will not retreat from god's word for a standard of truth that's grounded in the word of god this first church compromised and they're no longer there let us not make that mistake i can't i can't change what other folks are doing but as as the holy spirit is in me is in you we have the ability to exhibit self-control and to choose this day who will first. May, may God give us the strength to stand. Because I I want my reward. I want to be faithful, and I pray that you do too. God closes it up. He says that that desirable church that was on fire for me that 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 was the beginning the catalyst for the first century church, and and would go and begin to infect and change the world, that church would not be exempt from the attacks and the onslaught of the devil. And you and I are not even. Let us honestly assess our lives today and take heed lest we too fall. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We need you. we confess today that the enemy is defeated, Lord. You overcome death and we shall as well. But, Lord, let's not forget that as we look back, we can see the reality that we have a real enemy and an adversary that wants to destroy our lives, our family. God, help us to live bold, victorious, faithful lives for you. And thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of these ages, no matter which one, It was always the same call, repent, be faithful, return to me, I love you, I'll never leave you. That same powerful Holy Spirit is speaking to every heart here today, repent, come to me, I will cast you out, I'll forgive you, I'll make you my own. I'll show you the way. God help us to come with bold faith today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stay in church. Jonathan, as we sing hymn 321 that the Savior is waiting, if you've never been saved this morning, I want to encourage you to step out in faith and come. Whatever God's leading you to do, be obedient to it. For his glory we pray, amen.